Warning, staff and guests may or may not be under the influence. Say When is a podcast dedicated to fun and awareness while talking about everything or tapping out to switch gears. From critical thinking to comedy, we offer real barbershop talk and progressive thoughts. Welcome to the free-for-all. Talk or tap out. Say When. Welcome to Say When, episode five, Motherfucking Consequences. Healing and reconciliation. Motherfucking Consequences. Title of today's show is inspired by a Star Trek meme, if you didn't know. If you'd like to buy us a cup of much-needed coffee, you can support us at patreon.com slash say when. That's patreon.com slash say when. Listeners and all my winners, if you want to submit a voice message and possibly be on our next episode, use your voice recorder app or voice memo app to record your short message, then send it through the email app on your phone to official say when podcast at gmail.com. Today's very special guest, we have Professor Frank from New York, JC, get some stuff off their chest. We're very proud to have partnered up with Captivate.fm. Captivate is our new podcast host, and we're very happy. If you want to go to our new website, that website is saywhen.captivate.fm. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from New York, it's Professor Frank in the house. Welcome to Say When, Professor Frank. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hey, appreciate you coming out and talking to us so you could help educate the crowd. Now, Professor Frank is going to be anonymous just to protect himself and his tenure at the university that he teaches at. But he is well qualified to speak on several subjects. Hope I can. First of all, (laughs) uh, we just want to start out lighthearted. I'm going to start off with what grinds your gears? You know, what gets under your skin? Thing that just bothers you, something you want to get off your chest? Go for it. Living where I live and driving, unfortunately, a lot. Funny, I've noticed that recently that people are are whipping around their Toyota Corollas and their Nissan Sentras as if they're like Ferraris and Porsches. They're just going about like it's all good. Like their car can hold that turn or or weave Mm -hmm. through that traffic. It kind of astounds me as the level or lack thereof thinking when it comes to their car and the capabilities of their car. So I I don't know. That's one of the things I've noticed recently. So it's funny you ask. I must admit that it seems like consistently, no matter what state I'm in, it's the people who drive Hyundais and Kias tend to be going 75, 85 down the highway when everybody else is doing 55, 60. And then it'll graduate to the Corollas and the Sentras. But it's not usually, you know, the, the Mercedes or the BMWs. They do, you know, fly down the highway, but most of them seem to drive pretty consistently. As far as who weaves in and out of traffic and dangerously, recklessly drives, yes, it is like the average mid-car, sedan, whatever, driver mofo. Exactly. Well, the funny thing is I have my own theories about that, and maybe we'll get into that topic uh, maybe later on with this podcast. But uh, I love to hear it. Okay, so, you know, and, and no disrespect to anybody who owns a Corolla or a Sentra or things of that nature. People who are driving these cars, uh, unfortunately, sometimes, uh, you know, since I teach, I, I, I experience this a lot where the most brazen person is the, is the least educated. The person that thinks that they're invincible, the person that thinks that nothing can happen to them, live life, YOLO, kind of that old saying and stuff like that. And so obviously those, you know, those individuals, unfortunately, sometimes don't have careers or things that they have that they worked hard for that then, you know, would require them to think about what they're, how they're driving and the manner in which they're driving. You're saying that they don't really think about the consequences. Yeah, basically there's no critical thought, you know, and and I got a lot to say about critical thought when it comes to education in general, you know, since I've been teaching for over 21 years now, um, you know, I, I've seen a thing or two and realized a thing or two with that. And since I drive a lot to work, I, you know, I see I see the issues with education all the time, not only on the road, but elsewhere. But since we're talking about the cars, I totally see it 
every which way I go. Funny enough, actually on the on on certain highways and byways that you actually pay for or you don't. The highways that you don't pay for that you don't pay a toll for every, you know, it seems like every few feet these days, right? Especially in Florida where I'm at. Exactly. So those highways that people don't necessarily pay tend to be a little bit more reckless than the people who actually pay for, for example, turnpikes and things of that nature. It's interesting in my travels through work and stuff like that. I use both sets of highways that, you know, one is where you don't pay and the other one is where you pay. And you can clearly see the distinction between the one that you don't pay and the one that you do pay. People that that pay for their highway, I mean, I'm not saying that they're perfect by any means, of course, Mm -hmm. but there tends to be less aggressive drivers on those roads than the roads that are, you know, non-paying. You know, I had a different experience in Atlanta. I actually thought that, uh, you know, Miami was like the kings of the bad drivers. Then I went to Atlanta again after all these years and I was shocked. Apparently, most of the bad drivers from Miami moved there and then they had a meeting with all the other bad drivers from around the country decided to come and move to Atlanta. And then you, so you got five to 15 different driving styles, you know, going on at the same time. It's just, it's just a mess, man. Traffic is something that definitely, I mean, if you look at like China and the way that they've tackled looking into the future and saying, Hey, we've got all these people. And if we don't do something, what are we going to do? We're going to get overrun with people. So it's time to start, you know, building the infrastructure. As far as education, I agree. I just took a defensive driver's course recently because it turns out, depending on which insurance company you're with, you will get a discount of up to 10%. For doing a six hour defensive driver course, it costs you $25. Now you can log in and out and take two months to do the course. So it doesn't take that long to do. And uh, for seniors, and I know in Florida, they all also offer a mature driver's course that can also give you a discount depending on who you're with. I'd say that people should definitely take the course because it, it just trains you to be on the lookout for other drivers to not to get out of that mentality where you're driving with your ego and everything is about, oh, you got in front of me. It's like, no, we're sharing the road. I'm not getting in front of you. I'm just getting in this space so I can get to where I'm going. Whereas defensive drivers will say, hey, these two people to the left and to the right of you that are a little bit behind you may try and speed up and get ahead of you. So you might want to just hit the brakes and let them go. Because at the end of the day, you don't, you know, it's not even about the money and stuff like that. You don't want to get in a car accident. You don't want to go to the hospital in the middle of a pandemic if you could help avoid it. Last thing you want is to get into a car accident. It's unfortunate because thanks uh, giving or thanks stealing, depending on how you look at it, is coming up. You know, a lot of people every year, they, they have bad family memories. They can't really celebrate because their loved one is gone simply because some asshole wasn't paying attention or was texting or was shooting a fucking TikTok video. Uh, let alone the drunk drivers. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. There has to be much, much more education. Defensive driving courses need to be mandatory before anybody can get behind the wheel of a car. They just need to increase the hours in the education, the yearly education. When you get your tag renewed every year, I think everyone should have to do like a four hour driver course or something. And it's not that big a deal. If you spend 25 bucks and then you get it back when you do your taxes, then what's the big deal to spend, you know, a couple hours just trying to be a little bit of a better driver? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. And that's some great information. And, and it also speaks to, you know, you said uh, you were taking a defensive driving course and it takes time and effort, right? Even though it doesn't take all that time, you said you space it out. But that's the thing that unfortunately separates a lot of people from doing what is good for them and good for not only for them, but for others because a defensive driving course, you know, not only protects you, but it protects everybody else because it encompasses everyone else when it comes to your driving and the driving around you 
from the people, right? When you have this kind of hubris way of thinking about, you know what, I'm just driving, I'm driving perfectly, I'm not speeding. If you think of in that terms, you're thinking selfishly, you're not thinking about everything else that's in front of you. And that's kind of like indicative of what happens in society, how people are just like, hey, look, I'm not bothering anybody. This is me. I'm not causing any issues, any problems. So that's it, right? And, and it's a centralized way of looking at things as opposed to, you know, how do you affect you know, whether it's something like a car accident or whether it's something else in society, how do I affect what's going on in and around me? Not only with people I know, but perfect strangers. Uh, it's, we have to get away from this, this mentality of I am, I am okay. Everybody else is messed up and I'm just doing what I need to do to, to take care of myself. We have to get away from that, that kind of thought and think about more of like, how is this affecting not only me, but everyone else around me, even perfect total strangers. We, we've come to a point in society where we don't think or care about a perfect stranger, you know? And, and it's right. like, if it's not, if it's not my family, it's not me. I don't care. And it's like, how is it that as a society, are we going to get better? Even as something as silly as, I mean, not that it's silly driving, but I'm just saying even something that we have, obviously in this country, we have many, many issues that are, that are plaguing us. Right. And, and so even something as driving shows the, the lack of empathy, sympathy and anything you want to throw at it when it comes to just a perfect stranger, just your fellow man or fellow human being, if you want to call it that. Absolutely. Because people are driving, you know, for the holidays, the roads are going to be packed because flying isn't safe. I don't care what they say about the HEPA filter and the air being blah, blah. You can still find videos of planes full of doctors that were going to help who got infected on the plane. There's actually a virologist who got infected on one flight because the aerosol droplets got into the mucous membranes on his eye. So I prefer everybody drive if they have to, but you're going to have to drive extra slow. And in the first place, you really shouldn't be gathering. If somebody's trying to tell, talk about freedom, no, that's not about freedom. There's no freedom to kill people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, that's true. You remember when uh, HIV and AIDS was like the, the topic and rampant and people who slept with other people and knowingly were HIV positive and they may not have even had full blown AIDS and they were arrested. And some of them, believe me, are still in jail for knowingly having sex with someone when you have HIV, which we have, you know, great treatments for right now. So if that's the case and there's legal precedent, what's going on with this coronavirus that we're up past 10 million now and what a quarter of a million people dead? Come on. Uh, Tyson uh, Food Company uh, just got a class action lawsuit for wrongful deaths. And when it came to how they took care of their workers and how they didn't take care of their workers during the, the early stages of this pandemic, how they just packed everybody in-house. Now, this is probably the, the precedent that's going to set where several institutions are going to be uh, you know, sued for their inept response or lack of, of, of uh, adequate safety measures when it came to their workers. And this is just the first domino in a long succession of, of dominoes that's going to, I think, really cripple, going to create a more of a, a larger wave of economic dysfunction. And it's just going to keep going. This is, I always talk about the COVID situation as the, as, as a, as the earthquake under the sea in a sense mm -hmm. that, you know, when, when an earthquake happens in, in, in 
under the water, under sea, it usually pushes the land up. And then what happens is, is a tsunami. Right now, we've felt the, the effects of the earthquake. And here comes the flood of that tsunami that's going to overtake not only us, us in the United States, but the entire world. This is beyond any kind of comprehension that we've ever faced in, as, a, as a human species. And it's just the beginning of this wave. And that's that's the scary part of all this. Right. And I can say that I've had uh, two people close to me who, who already had colds and had to self-quarantine and get tested because they didn't know whether or not they had COVID. So when they found out that they were negative, other people that may have been living with them is like, hey, I'm going to go stay with auntie or something like that because I don't want to get a cold and have a, a lowered immune response in case I do interact with somebody who had COVID. So that's my suggestion, people out there. If somebody has a cold and you find out, oh, it's fine. It's not COVID. I got tested. Well, guess what? You still have a lowered immune response because you have that cold. And now is not the time to be getting a cold from anybody. So we got to do what we got to do until we get another administration in there and we start doing things differently and bring the numbers down. I totally agree with you on that one. So speaking about education, uh, since you are an educator, I don't know how often you've traveled overseas or if you've lived overseas. I've had experience experience briefly, you know, teaching overseas myself. And there's even a uh, documentary actually by Michael Moore called Sicko. And mm -hmm. um, that shows the, the way healthcare works differently overseas. And then there's another one called Who to Invade Next. And that documentary in particular shows all these great American ideas that are being used overseas effectively and efficiently, and it's working, but they're not using it here simply because it's about money or cultural issues or whatever it's about. Because a lot of times people don't want to fix the problem like the mechanic. You know, they want your car to keep breaking down. They want to make sure that your parts last only a certain you know amount of miles, the, man, the car manufacturers and stuff like that, so they can keep doing repair. Our science can absolutely make vehicles that last 100 years without having a freaking problem if they really yeah, wanted to. You know what but I mean? What's, but what's the benefit of that, right? Exactly. So my point was looking at Japan in particular, they teach these children character. They don't start giving them tests and pitting them against each other. Who's going to win the spelling bee? They teach them to work as a cohesive unit. They teach them that they have a duty to society to protect Earth and to keep things clean. So what they do is they do these team building exercises. They have these kids in kindergarten and here they are sweeping, mopping, wiping down the chairs, the desks, the windows. And they're doing it together. They're not complaining and whining and the parents are not coming and threatening the teachers. They're just doing what's responsible in their society. It's one of the reasons that Tokyo is one of the cleanest cities in the world. And I think we need that, that foundation since children's brains are like sponges and that's when they learn the most and they can learn different languages. Going back to critical thinking like you were talking about, it's important that they learn even musical instruments to develop different areas of their brain. So I think we really got to start because we have all this negative Jerry Springer ratchet crap that's constantly on the radio and television. And unfortunately, our kids are ingesting it. You know, social media, we really are not on top of what kids are being exposed to every day. So let's expose them to a foundation of cohesiveness starting, you know, in education at a very young age, kindergarten. That's one of my proposals. Well, no, I agree with you totally. And, and uh, you know, this wasn't mentioned earlier in the, the program, but, you know, I do have experience. First of all, I have traveled overseas and I have seen a different level, a different mentality that people have overseas, both good and bad. I'm not going to say, you know, 
uh, either way, every place has its positives and negatives. But uh, what was said earlier, what wasn't said earlier was that I, I, I've taught elementary school and I taught it for about 12 or 13 years. And that's why I guess that's why I teach college now, because I, I just couldn't deal with the kids anymore. <laughs> but uh, but, gotcha. but the thing is, <laughs> what, I, what I did notice about education, my experience uh, dealing with the younger kids, dealing with their parents, dealing with the administration, is that this wasn't what you mentioned about cohesiveness, about working together, about it's not my job, not my responsibility kind of thing that we have here in the, in the unfortunately sometimes in the states uh, is that it doesn't teach like that we're in this together kind of mentality. Now, the funny thing is you mentioned that, you know, for example, in Japan, China, like not only do they do that in the schools, but what happens are what happens is that the parents, they teach the value of education. I mean, they literally ingrain it into their head. So now they have the competition that's coming from home because, you know, in, in that culture, it's it's if you're not doing well in school, it is a blight on the family name. Depending upon whatever parenting style you have, you know, you, you may find that to be good or to be actually, you know, too harsh because, you know, sometimes people just say they're just kids. They just whatever. But you said it perfectly when you said kids' brains are sponges. And so whatever you literally give them around the times from when they were born to about the time they're five. That's the that's the time that their brain is growing the most and will retain the most information at that any point in their life. That's it, right? And so imagine now you have these parents that are literally pounding into their kid's head that this is important, this is necessary, this is going to cause us shame if you don't do well. So that builds the, the competition plus the, the stress, I guess. But then when they go to school, course, there's competition. Competition is good, I think, in that sense of the word, but it also with the building of the team, building of the, this is us, not not individual. That's a great balance because you have the family aspect. And then plus you have that where not only the family supports what the professor, the teacher is saying or doing in the class with their kids, but it's also showing the team building, like you mentioned. So it's a great balance that unfortunately, sometimes, uh, you know, I don't think we have here as much as we should. Absolutely. We'll be right back after this message. Kate could not have been happier. And she told me it was the best day of her life. I placed her in a limousine for the ride home. There was a drunk driver. He drove straight into us. And I could hear my wife screaming. I was looking on the floor for Kate to make sure that she was okay. Her head had been torn from her body. Every time you get behind the wheel drunk, you put all of us at risk. Could you live with yourself if you murdered my daughter? I wanted to segue into the Georgia runoff to encourage them to vote and to, you know, maybe donate because um, it's about voting for education and it's not about a party. It's about, you know, which platform is going to be the best for you, your family, your friends, the country, the planet. And so that's why, you know, I'm just blue down the line. And after what I've seen with the, the sedition from the Republican Party, I I can never, ever even consider like ever having anything to do with that party. I think a lot of people need to go to prison. It's it's really it's such a terrible example for our, our children, you know, mimicking the leadership of the country and stuff like that. It, it's really terrible. So uh, I'm really hoping that uh, people put their money together, put their social media skills, whatever connections you have and, you know, go to actblue.com and uh, try to support Georgia financially so they can go to this runoff on January 5th. And because uh, without the Senate, it's going to be very hard to get anything passed. We all know from the last, you know, eight years with Obama or whatever that Mitch McConnell is, you know, uh, and he's proud of it. He's just obstructing every law. And uh, like I, I've said before, I just don't know of anybody else who has a job 
where you can not only not do your job, but you can block and obstruct other people from doing their job, refuse to let the, you know, 500 laws be voted on and then still keep your job. That's we've got to close that loophole. And I think, you know, the more people that are educated and, you know, thank goodness for you. We talk about essential workers. Uh, educators are, are definitely essential workers because if it wasn't for, you know, people like you dealing with other people's kids, a lot of times they wouldn't <laughs> even be able to go go to work. Now, I know these are adults that you're teaching and stuff like that, but I'm curious, you know, if you want to share any story that you might have personally about maybe something your students went through, maybe because of the pandemic or the lack of leadership or, you know, politically wise. I'm just curious. Uh, Well, I got a lot to say about this, uh, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, The restrictions, I don't necessarily, to be very honest with you, know what my uh, what my institution says I can or cannot. Uh, talk about with my students. But I also do know that, you know, I, that I police myself when it comes to talking about politics with my students. Now, I do talk about that with them, of course. And I, I talk about I talk about it in a, in a kind of secular kind of way where I, I talk about the institution of politics, the institution of education and all that stuff. You know, I am Democrat as well. I don't mind saying that. Uh, but I don't talk about my personal beliefs with my students because of the influence that I may have. Uh, plus also, you know, I, I have, you know, part of my job is being a critical thinker and teaching my students to be critical thinkers. And I realize that sometimes if I say something and it gets into a point where we're having a, a contentious discussion in class, my job, even though I'm tenured now, thank God, but I knew that that could cause, you know, issues. I've known, I've literally known professors who have gotten fired um, and let go from their positions because of things that they've said and whatever. And of course, they were they were egregious, but I'm not going to put myself in that position. But anyway, uh, as far as ta- <laughs> as far as talking about politics with my students, look, you know, they're 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 19, 18, 19, 20, 21. They're, they're around that age. Right. So that creates a whole other dilemma. But we'll get away from that. But they're 18, 19, 20. And, you know, it's amazing at this point in their life that they're so young and they still have so much to go when it comes to their life that they are literally disheartened by the political process. They are disheartened. It, it helps them to check out from the process. Uh, and so, you know, in the 60s and 50s and 60s, when students were the most radical, they were the most engaging in politics. In the 2020s, in the 2000s, I guess, if you will, I've seen that, you know, students just are okay with being disconnected from politics. And so I tell them, I go, look, I go, you know, ask them, I ask a series of questions because it's like, it, it creates, Asking yourself questions is the basis for critical thought, if you think about it, right? You ask yourself a question, mm-hmm. the deeper questions you ask, the better the better answers are yield. And of course, more questions are then created by that as well. So it kind of takes you down a, a rabbit hole, but that's where you learn the most, right? If you go to a mental health psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, what is it that what is it that they do with you? They 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 sit there and ask you a couple of questions. And then as you say something, they ask you more questions and they're just constantly probing to get more out of you. So I, you know, I asked my students a lot of questions and I said, okay, so I get the, the, the fact that you can be disheartened, that it, it, it seems like this is never going to work. And kind of like what you said about Mitchell Collin and, and the obstructionist and, and all that stuff. But I said, look, how many of you are perfect in here? This is what I asked my students. And, you know, nobody raises their hands. And of course, that one or two student that thinks that they're funny in class will raise their hand. Right. But most of them know that they're not perfect, including their professor. Right. And I said, okay, so so how do you want an institution that's run by hundreds of people that are inherently flawed to then be perfect in their execution of their job or their 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 passing of laws or or what it makes what it does to make you feel better as a citizen? It's almost an impossibility 
that that's that's going to happen. And I equate it to, you know, I ask them about, you know, education as well. You know, and I and I ask them questions. You're you're asking imperfect people to then come together as a group to form a perfect kind of entity. It just doesn't happen. And so I, I tell my students, so when you give yourself that excuse that it's never going to work, my vote doesn't count, whatever, you have essentially done what the other side wanted you to do. And I talk about numbers. And I talk about how voter turnout is so low and I throw statistics at them. Mind you, this is I teach and I don't mind saying I teach English. Right. And so obviously I'm not in the political realm. Part of teaching English is being able to be a critical thinker, right, to, to create. Right. And based on the spelling of a lot of those protest signs, uh, obviously it's important. Yes, yes <laughs> yeah, that, that's besides that. Oh gosh, I, trust me, I, I, I reflect, I, I, uh, <laughs> I tell people when people ask me what I do for a living, I don't say I, I teach anymore. I, I say I try to teach because um, it doesn't seem to be working very well when I run, you know, when I give all the information and then, and then I get the papers back and it just doesn't translate to that they were listening to what I, what I had to say. I feel you people put me on the spot and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I heard your podcast and this and other people. Oh, you got a podcast. What's your podcast about? Like, right. It's about fun and awareness. Well, but, but what's it about? Fun and awareness. That, that pretty much covers every damn thing I'm trying to do. <laughs> like, otherwise, if you're too lazy to listen, guess what? Go on social media. There's all these nice little 10 second clips with pictures on them. So. There you go. Joe, you're, you're, you're killing me because you're hitting on several things here. And I got so much to say because I've been teaching for you. you. You hit something just by what you just said there about the 10 second, 10 or 20 second clip videos. Right. I mean, OK, for all you people that are listening that have kids or will have kids or maybe even that you're young yourself, that this may relate to you. I teach my students that we are creating a society of people who cannot pay attention. And, and why is that? Because kids today are literally they come out of the womb with a, with a phone in their hand or a tablet in their hand and they're swiping or making pictures longer. They're finding videos. And what are they doing? They're finding those videos that are a few seconds long or a minute long. So they or they're looking at, you know, maybe the, the, the younger viewers uh, that are listening right now or the younger listeners, excuse me, they, you know, scroll through 10,000 memes and little videos on their, you know, whatever social media feed. It's training your brain actually to to function in small clips. If you've noticed yourself how you just like, oh, it's too long and you and you bypass it or it's too long or it lasts too long, you bypass it. You you have essentially probably tra trained your brain from so many uh, videos like that, that you create this, you know, this 20, 30 second attention span. Now, that's fine for, you know, surfing any kind of uh, uh, social media posts, but then what happens at your job? What happens at when when you have a problem? What happens when you have to think about something? Your brain is not trained to do that, and so it it takes it even longer to even try to uh, focus. It's like your mind is wandering all over the place, but it really isn't. It's just that your brain is trained to do that, and and I can't tell you how many times that my students exhibit that kind of trained behavior. And the funny thing is they trained themselves. Nobody nobody told them to do this. They just willingly picked up their phone and it was like a drug and it was automatically addicted to it. Right. You know, it's kind of like a club. There's a cool hip club to go to and you go there for a while. And then after a while, it's like, hey, let's go to this place. Nah, let's go somewhere else. Let's go someplace different. And it could be the same club that just comes under new management and they change the name of the club or something. And all of a sudden- Or the people, location. Right. And people are going, all of a sudden people start going there again. And I think it's the same thing with the social media platforms. It used to be just Facebook and everybody or MySpace and 
you know, and then everybody, you can do everything in one spot. And then it's like, they're dividing it. It's a marketing tool where they're just trying to divide stuff and divide stuff and make as many apps as possible. So they could just get more information and more revenue. And it's like now to be on social media, you got to have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. I mean, give me a freaking break, dog. And it's not going to be over because there will be another platform two, three years from now or two, three months from now that everyone's, you know, on the bandwagon. This is what's hot. Remember the vine? Seven second vine, and that was the rave. Yeah. Where, are they, where are they now? I don't even, yeah. I asked right. somebody the other day about vine, and they were like, uh, yeah, we don't use that anymore. I was like, oh, I purposely okay. made my podcast short. I know some people's podcasts go on and on, but I too, you know, depending on the person, I don't want to listen to an hour long conversation or 40 minutes. The longest episode I've done is, uh, has been 40 minutes. Uh, other than that, they've been like half an hour. And I, I try we're to, we're going to try to short. push that today. We're going to try to push that today. Oh, we're definitely pushing this today. <laughs> we're going to chop this up. This might be on two episodes, you know? What I mean? <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, going into critical thinking, let me just do a sound effect. <sighs> okay. Yeah. There you go. And, uh, Critical Thinking Corner is one of the segments that I wanted to have. So, you know, feel free if you want to make that a weekly thing of stuff that you feel like everybody should know, but nobody's talking about. And that's pretty much what the podcast is about. Yes, a lot of people are, are you know, saying exactly the same things I'm saying on Say When. They may not be saying it from my perspective or with my experience. And I welcome listeners, you know, send your voicemails, send your emails. We're more than happy to put you on the show, you know, discuss the, the topics that you want to hear. All right. Well, I definitely uh, would uh, commit to taking part as many uh, podcasts as I can and just keeping the flow going because I got a lot to say. And, uh, you know, I was actually had something in mind for Bam. Here's the subject. Racial insensitivity um, in your classes. Maybe that's a factor. Maybe it's not a factor. People are being professional and remembering they're in a college university. But because I've seen a lot of terrible behavior from people caught up in the Trump cult and their college students, and I wondered to myself, how the hell are, did you get into that university? And you don't have critical thinking. You're fighting about wearing a mask. If I ran any college or university, I'd be kicking people out left and right. I'll get on the, the loudspeaker <laughs> like it's elementary school and be like, testing, Bueller, Bueller. Uh, yeah. If you guys don't want to wear a mask, you are out, bro. You are out. I don't know who took your ASVAB or your SAT for you, but if you can't figure out fourth grade science about infections and viruses and how they work, you you got to go, bro. Go somewhere else. Seriously. And, you know, and, and I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I agree with a lot of it because, you know, obviously the, the safety issues and things of that nature. Just put and- them on academic probation for one semester, send them home to their parents who thought they were going to have the house to themselves and annoy them for a couple months. And so to make sure that when Junior goes back to college, he's going to be on point with the mask and the study. Well, I, I honestly, I hope I've been working remote since uh, since this pandemic. And I, I, I hope to keep working remote based on even even with this uh vaccine that they just came out with uh, the two or three uh, companies that have uh, introduced the vaccine. I agree. If something doesn't have to be hands-on, it, it shouldn't be. Now, I can understand people saying that education is going to, uh, you know, we're going to be sacrificing some levels of education. I don't think so. I think what we have to do is just start utilizing technology more. And we have a lot more technology than we realize or that the, the common public knows or is available. But the technology is there. And the thing is to just got to start putting it in schools. You can't stop the future. And no matter what, it's just a matter of time before all the vehicles are electric. Nuclear energy is gone. We have to take care of the environment. I mean, why why use fossil fuels when literally the uh, you talked about the uh, underwater earthquakes, the current 
underneath the ocean, like in the Netherlands, they have the, the same towers that are like these wind tunnels that Trump thinks cause cancer. Wind turbines, I should say. They have these turbines underneath the water in uh, the Netherlands. And from the ocean current, they're powering themselves with electricity. And sometimes the electricity is surplus. So you actually get a check back. You know, I didn't live in the Netherlands, but I did live in Western Europe and I literally have received a check from my electric company like, oh, we had too much electricity this month. Here's 40 bucks. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think, you know, kind of placating off of what you were saying with uh, this new way of doing things like, you know, of course, the pandemic has revealed that, you know, we could do a lot of things remotely, like hands off and just, you know, companies are, are, are putting their people at home. And, and technically, I think they're getting more work done, more work out of those people than they would if they were actually at a brick and mortar kind of uh, company, you know, site. And then, of course, in my realm, we're teaching, you know, yeah, it's not the best scenario only because we're so used to the common way of teaching where you go to school, you sit in the classroom for hours, you fold your hands, you do the work and you go home the next day or the, that, that day, whatever, and you go back the next day. That's the norm. And unfortunately, you know, people get comfortable with the norm. And I get why we all have our comfort levels, right? right. So this is, cre this is creating now an uncomfortable scenario. Now, the thing is, I tell my students when you're comfortable with something, it's good. It also uh, creates apathy where you're not really changing anything. You're just good in your lane. And so I said, you know, there's only two reactions that you can have when it comes to being uncomfortable. That is to either stay and meet the demands and the changes that that, that uncomfortable uh, situation brings, which is growth in the sense it's growing, it's growing pain, so to speak, right. or you could just run from the situation. And so I'm, obviously one is better than the other. So right now, as a society, as an education, if we're talking about critical thinking and, and, and how things are done now, yeah, it stinks. It's a new way of doing things. People are adjusting. People are growing. And eventually it can become something very good because it would be different than what we've been doing since the early 1800s, you know, and, and how we how right. we have that that same kind of methodology of teaching. You know, I have seen a decline in my students work from the ones that I had in, you know, face to face in a brick and mortar uh, setting, as opposed to my online students that you know, the quality of work has diminished uh, and, and I would say kind of a good noticeable clip. Right. But what happens is, again, this is now the growing, the uncomfortable period. And I think honestly, like if this is if this is going to be the new norm, I think students will adjust and will meet these demands and get better at it. But parents are so scared about, of course, obviously not having babysitting and all that stuff, which is something that needs to be figured out. And so that their students, uh, their kids can, can, you know, do the remote learning, but the, the parents can go to work or whatever it is that they right. do. Basically in a nutshell to wrap it up is just that, you know, I think, uh, I think right now we're, we're just in that period of uncomfortableness. And so we have to meet the demands of the, of the new times. Right. And so uh, I think people need to kind of hold on and wait and see it instead of panicking and going back to what is comfortable, because again, Comfortable is nice, but it doesn't really do anything for growth, so to speak. Speaking of comfortability, Professor Frank, we're about to get into the critical thinking corner of uncomfortability, a subject that you and I are well versed on and we could talk about for hours. I want you to give a homework assignment to the listeners, and it's going to be based on this subject and the homework. Uh, I mean, it's up to you, but I think is to just be better. Just try and do a little bit better. And the, what I'm talking about in particular is racial and ambiguity and people assuming for whatever reason uh your ethnicity or your racial background 
and adding extra importance to it. I, I don't know why that, you know, like in an academic setting, what that would have to do with anything. We could take it all the way back to special ed back in the eighties, one of his famous rap songs, I got it made. And he says, I'm not a Puerto Rican, but I'm speaking so that, you know, and he had to say that because if you look at him, I believe he's a Jamaican of black and Indian heritage. Uh, people were assuming, I guess, because of that population in New York, wherever they were living that, you know, hey, you Puerto Rican or something like that. I get the same thing. When I'm in New York or Miami, I'm Puerto Rican or Dominican. When I'm in L.A., I'm Mexican. When I'm overseas, um, usually depending where I am in, in Europe, I'm Egyptian. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like uh, it's like I get the discrimination for being a so-called N-word to some people and then uh, for being other ethnicities that I'm not even. You know, I've been called derogatory names for Arabic people, Muslim people, Latinos. And I'm like, OK, that's not who I am. But thank you for being a racist. <laughs> you know, <what> <laughs> thank you. Come again. Right. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes I mean, just like with with doctors, there'll be somebody who'll come in and say, oh, can I get another doctor? Because they're not comfortable with the doctor's, you know, gender or ethnic makeup or racial background. And I know that a lot of times when you're dealing with students and their parents come into the fray, as soon as they take a look at you, oh, you know, or they look at your name and they're up, oh, they've already made their mind up about you. Or when they meet you in person after talking to you or hearing their students talk about you, oh, he's so great. He's like, oh my God, he's, what is he? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh man, I I have had this issue literally my almost my entire life. I kid you not. Especially, of course, my adult life and professional life. I get this question on a routine basis, and uh, from my students to when I used to teach elementary school, the parents kind of like I am a hodgepodge in the sense of how I look. I don't have a definitive last name that people would you know, oh you're this or or you're that based on your last name. My first name also doesn't fit how I look because of its uh, its origin. It's actually German in origin, but I don't look German in any way, shape, or form. What people would consider German. I don't. Again, I don't want to be because any a German can look like anything. Because I'm talking about. Right. It's funny. I actually have several friends that that look like you in particular. I, I got one. I was thinking like, man, this guy could be uh, both of our cousins. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> exactly. I'll send you a picture after the show. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so, so the thing is, like, I purposely answer because they go, "Where are you from?" And I say, either I say one of two things. I either say I'm from New York, or what is it? What do you mean? Where I was born or ethnicity? Because I know that's what they're asking, right? But I just kind of like play it off like that. And usually I used to make a joke about it. I used to say, okay, I'll give you three chances to guess what, what I am and you'll win a prize or whatever, whether it was a student, whether it was a total stranger, if I was at a club, you know, you know, a drink to the, to the lady or whatever. It's been something that I've always been asked. And, and, you know, without fail, except for, I can, I promise you guys only one time in my life where somebody got it right. When I asked that question, when they asked me the question, I said, guess only one person in my entire 45, almost 46 years of existence got it right. But the answer I normally get is after I reveal what I am is you don't look and then insert whatever it is, right? I'm from a Haitian American background. I'm going to say it. I've been saying it from the beginning and I get that all the time. You don't look Haitian. Oh, you don't look Haitian. I, I was like, oh, really? I hadn't realized you'd been to Haiti. Were you with a church mission or helping out? <laughs> and then that, that stumps them right. Oh, uh, uh, no, but you know, I, I went to school, I work with, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, okay, well, I used to live in Haiti and I saw hundreds and maybe thousands of people who look like me. 
because I spent enough time and went enough places and watched enough TV. I don't know what to tell you, bro. If you're looking for a monolithic society, uh, show me where that is. <laughs> you know what you're I mean? Right. And, and the funny thing is, most of the time, the people that are, that are asking me are non, you know, Haitians or whatever. But even when I reveal to other Haitians that I am Haitian, that no. So it's not only just the people who are non, it's the people who are as well. And that goes to a lack of, of understanding or critical thought. Because when the Haitians do it to, to me, I, I look at them like, mofo, you know, you just <laughs> as light as me or, you you know, I, I know your cousin. Like, why are you shocked by me when, you know what I mean? You got people in your family who look just like me and lighter and this and that. Like, give me a freaking break, man. Get over it. Because at You're the right. end of the day, it's the sun's radiation, a star that's years away. That's what's affecting us, that radiation, our bodies reacting to it. And that's what's, you know, the chemicals in our body, that's what's giving us the melanin and the pigmentation. That's what's giving us our skin. I mean, you take some of the the, the the spectrum of sunlight out of the picture and you have a, a different looking people. We're basically being shaped by our environment. And as electromagnetic frequencies change, sunspots and this and that, there's an episode of The Outer Limits. I think the, the newer series from the 90s or something, the very first episode is about the sun changing on some scientific level. And because of that, human beings having to adapt where some couldn't go outside anymore because their bodies didn't adapt. Whereas other ones, their bodies had to adapt. And then there were this gold luminescent type of color. And I was like, that is completely, it might be far-fetched, but that is completely plausible. It is completely plausible that there is a number of factors coming from deep in space that could change our appearance and affect the way that, you know, we evolve. Right. We've only begun to scratch the surface of how we've gotten here, how we've been shaped and formed and and affected by things that we cannot see and things in the cosmos that we have no understanding of or very limited of. But yet it is playing a factor in how we become. That really grinds my gears, you know, circling back to the whole thing with the cars. That that'll be me. The the, the car thing pisses me off because you know i've i've lost people in car accidents people coming home from work sitting at a red light and just bam dead and the other person who hit them was not always drunk and sometimes they were texting sometimes they just weren't paying attention and sometimes they fell asleep at the road because they're they're doing two and three shifts when they shouldn't be <laughs> you know what i mean so right. I, I i really wish that something could be done uh and I'm looking forward to a future where there's automated cars, because when computers are moving all the vehicles on the road, they're going to move much more efficiently. Just the fact that we weave in and out of lanes, that by itself causes a lot of traffic. And for me, circling uh, back again, I know I'm going all over the place with the the racial thing and that just getting on my nerves, just like people are out of pocket. I have people, you know, are like, that were Latino that started telling me black jokes. And then when I checked them and said, hey, we're about the same complexion and your hair is a little more curlier than mine. You know, I literally had to tell one dude, look, man, if I go to your family tree and I kick it, an N word is going to fall right out. And I had to use that language. You know, I use the real word just uh-huh. to, just to check him because I will use that word when it comes to people not acknowledging their blackness and trying to kowtow and, and join in with white supremacy. I check him real quick. Oh, it's a, it's funny how it's happened with this with this political thing with, you know, here uh, how some Hispanics and other ethnicities have have rallied around Trump because they're Even not Haitians. the other ethnicity. They're you know if they're Cuban or they're Puerto Rican or they're Venezuelan, as long as they're not Mexican or El Salvadorian, which I've heard in the Hispanic community, like you know there's strife between the different ethnicities. It's like they're okay with it because it's not them. But I'm like you are cut from the same cloth. You're the same grouping of people. I was shocked to experience that in Europe as well. I was in the Netherlands, and as I went throughout. 
Western Europe, the negativity about Germans just from, you know, World War Two. And I'm like, you guys, you guys are barely 20 something years old. What do you know about, you know, World War Two and Nazis and this and that? And just from the stories of their grandparents and their parents, they kind of grew up with this skew against Germans. There's a lot of little ethnic twinges. And I think that that goes, you know, anthropologically to just, you know, the survival skill built into us as human beings, how we form tribes, you know, for safety and security and stuff like that. But at some point we've evolved past the need for those primitive means. We don't need to go hunting anymore. We're, you know, one step away from 3D printing food, which we're already doing. There's people go on YouTube right now. You can watch people 3D printing Oreos. And it's just a matter of time until we're 3D printing meat that is not meat, but you cannot tell the difference. Right. I'm looking forward to the future my, myself when all of these topics, racial and everything else, politics, all the negative stuff, the lack of education. I just look towards technology. I watch some science videos and I look at all the wondrous things that we can actually do now. You know, back when the news was actually reporting a bunch of different information and not just following Trump all the time and hanging on his every word. Right now in Dubai, police are using hovercrafts or hover cycles. They're basically like drone motorcycles. They got these four little fans. And when there's bumper to bumper traffic, they can just ride over the cars to get to where they're going. I mean, there's non-lethal weapons out there that show you this. Nobody needs a gun. There's so many effective non-lethal weapons. There's no reason to take somebody's life because they have a knife in their hand. Really, there isn't. I would advise people, if you're getting down and you're looking for a pandemic coping skill, something to try and get you from ruminating and obsessing about, you know, everything that's going wrong with the world, especially with the holidays coming up, depression is increasing. Look at technology. Look at all the stuff that we've actually accomplished. There's one site in particular, I fucking love science. That's literally what it's called, but it's abbreviated. And I recommend that one just for a quick overview and it'll tell you just weekly, you know, what, what the accomplishments were pretty much in science this week. Oh, that's good. I gotta, I gotta check that out myself. I never, I never heard of that site. Pretty interesting name, though. Yeah, that's why I gravitated towards it too. <laughs> I like profanity when it's used to, to emphasize awareness. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it works with a lot of people. Let me tell you. Goddamn right. Well, I know we've been talking for a minute. Anything you want to say to anyone out there, whether it's good or bad, whether you want to promote the Senate runoff, tell Trump to f himself, tell your students to do their homework, whatever you want, floor is yours. <laughs> I'll leave you with something that I live by every day. Uh, and you mentioned it and, it, and it brought exactly what it is. And I use this a lot, uh, not only with my students, but again, like I said, I use it with with my own life and my experiences. And it's you know, since I teach English, or like I said, I try to teach English. I read these like you know, pieces of literature from famous people, non-famous people. And one of my favorite authors of all time is Ernest Hemingway. And if you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, he was a drunkard. He was he was you know a womanizer, a typical resident of the Florida Keys. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> let me let you go with one thing that he said that. I, like I said, I use as a as, as a quote, as a mantra for me. And he said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow men. He goes, true nobility lies in being superior to your former self. So basically, be better than you were yesterday as an individual and you'll be just fine. There it is. Bam. Thank you so much again for coming. And my pleasure. My pleasure, Joe. Anytime you want, you're always welcome, brother. Uh, hey, I, I hope to uh, make this uh, every once in a while thing so that uh, I can I can spread some knowledge. You know, my students don't listen to me, so I might as well have somebody listen to me. That's what's up. Thank you so much. Peace. All right, Joe. Take care. Say when. If you take prescription meds, follow these three steps before you get behind the wheel. First, always read the label for warnings and instructions. Second, take care when mixing multiple medications. If you're not sure, ask your pharmacist. And third, mixing alcohol and medications is dangerous. 
don't do it. Know your meds and always have a plan to get home safe. All right. We're going to start the Grind My Gears, Get It Off Your Chest segment. Got JC here with me. Yo. Going to talk about these punk ass uh, nah, pharmaceutical commercials. It Go just ahead. really grinds my gears, man. Every time I have to see some fucking couple holding hands in a bathtub on the beach. Why, why you got a bathtub on the beach? That's just that's a whole other uh, bunch of bullshit altogether. But nah, just in general, man. Why why are you advertising prescription drugs on television? Who 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 the fuck needs to ask their doctor about any drug? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Your doctor probably never heard of this new drug. So yeah, that, that's just something that really grinds my gears. Freedom of speech is one thing, but um, stop advertising products like prescription drugs to people that don't know any better. I'm not a doctor. Nobody else, 99% of the people that are watching aren't doctors. Don't ask your doctor. Don't waste your time. Just change the channel when the Pfizer commercial comes on. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I don't remember the name of the drug, what motivated us to even bring this topic up. There was an advertisement for some drug. The drug literally said it was for the stomach problems or whatever, like may cause anal leakage. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, <laughs> and they're showing older people like that's worse than the fucking problem they're taking the pills I'm saying, for. Now I got to go get some drugs for a leaky asshole. And what, 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 come on, man. Like it just deal with the heartburn. I guess this is this is the line there just approving every fucking medication for some bullshit and you know what stop the fact that just because something is made overseas and you want to corner the fucking market and keep all the money you're not letting the effective fucking drug that's made overseas be used i've taken medication in europe that i can't get here and the shit that i got here doesn't work as well it's more expensive and it has more side effects but hey they got to make a profit right yeah fuck big pharma forever yeah no argument here and keep your fucking commercials off my television i don't need to know every new antidepressant pill that comes out and that doesn't mean we're against the vaccine that's a whole nother separate story of course not um, we're all for science but these companies that are benefiting off sickness and death rather than trying to cure it yeah fuck them since it's a special thanksgiving uh, holiday episode instead of uh, doing our usual thanks we're just going to thank our goddamn selves for all the hard work we've been putting in and tell everybody to be safe peace and now our moment of win. Two dollars.